0: Daniel Barnett here. Enrolment for the 2025 Virtual Employment Law Academy is now open. Go to www.virtualemploymentlawacademy.com for more information. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and this week's episode of Employment Law Matters is on flexible working. In this episode, you'll learn who is eligible to apply for flexible working, what a flexible working request should look like, and what your next steps should be. A quick thank you though to Lemissy Z who put this on the iTunes Podcast Review Chart. Each one is concise, easy to absorb, and engaging. Great way to add to knowledge without the burden. Thank you, Lemissy Zed. And if you send your full name and address to podcast at Danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll pop a book. In the post as a little thank you for your time in putting that review up there. And now, flexible working. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Who qualifies for the right to make a flexible working request? Well, the right is open to employees who have at least 26 weeks continuous service. Only one request per employee per year is allowed. So if an individual has already exercised their right in the last 12 months, their later request won't count. The employer can simply say, nope, or if it fancies, try to come up with some arrangement that works for them both, despite the technical lack of ability to make a request under the statute for flexible working. And this is actually an important point worth bearing in mind whenever an employee asks about making some change to their working life. Sometimes those requests will qualify as formal, statutory, flexible working requests, kick-starting the statutory regime. Other times they won't, perhaps because the employee didn't qualify, didn't put it in the form of a formal request, or maybe they've got some part of the process wrong. And in that situation, although you might not be obliged to go through the statutory steps in dealing with the request, it would be unwise to ignore it or just dismiss it out of hand. The employee wouldn't have made the request if there hadn't been some issue about their working life. And it would therefore be reasonable for you, as an employer, to look to help with the situation, regardless of whether the request falls within or outside the statutory regime. Doing this minimises the risk of a discrimination claim and it minimises the risk of a constructive dismissal claim stemming from a failure to act or a failure to act reasonably. A qualifying employee is entitled to ask for his or her terms and conditions to be changed in respect of the hours worked, the times worked or their place of work. And within those broad categories are various options such as working from home, job sharing, part-time work, compressed hours and term time working. Changes can be temporary as well as permanent, so it's perfectly fine for an employee and employer to agree a new working pattern that will last a set period of time only. The terms of any proposed change or temporary change have to be recorded properly to leave no room for ambiguity about what will happen at the end of the temporary change period. What form should a statutory flexible working request take? There's several tick boxes that the employee has to tick. Let's run through them. It's got to be in writing. It's got to be dated. It's got to actually say that it's a statutory request for flexible working. It's got to say whether the employee's previously made such an application to the employer, and if so, when. It's got to set out the change applied for, and when the employee wants that change to take effect. And it's got to explain what effect, if any, the employee thinks that making that change would have on the employer and how they think that effect might be dealt with. The ACAS guide recommends that where a request relates to the Equality Act, so, for example, the change requested could also amount to a reasonable adjustment, the flexible working request should spell that out. In practice, most employees won't make that connection, so employers need to be alert. As the employer, how do you respond to a request? Well, first of all, be reasonable. This is the overarching requirement. Meet privately with the employee to discuss their request. And you should do that even if you're happy to approve it, because it's important you nail down the agreement on the precise details. So arrange this meeting for as soon as possible after you get the request. Not all employees who make requests have thought through the full ramifications of their proposed new working arrangements. So, for example, if a permanent change is being sought, they might not realise any return to their existing conditions would require another flexible working request, and that wouldn't be possible for at least 12 months. So make sure they understand things like that. Also, it's good practice to make sure they understand other fairly basic things, like the fact that working fewer hours means a lower salary. You'd be amazed. In 25 years, I've seen cases where employees didn't realise that. Make sure they realise things like homeworking could make them feel less connected with colleagues, and that they'd still need to attend certain meetings in your offices. In some situations, particularly those where the employee's income and benefits could take a sizeable hit. sizable Think about suggesting they get specialist advice on their personal situation. Note that if the employee doesn't turn up to the meeting, or to any rearranged meeting, you're entitled to treat the request as having been withdrawn, unless the employee has a good reason for not attending. Next, you need to consider the request. This is really a cost-benefit analysis that, in practice, revolves around a set of business reasons for which a request may be rejected. We all know what the eight reasons set out in the legislation are, but just running through them, you need to prove that your reason for saying no to the flexible working request falls within one of these eight stated reasons. They're not difficult to establish, you just need to establish one. So one to eight, what are they? Number one, the burden of additional cost. Remember, of course, to balance the costs, against the savings that could be made because of the flexible working arrangement. Bear in mind also that employers are expected to accept a degree of cost in order to provide flexibility. Number two, a detrimental effect on the ability to meet customer demand. Well, could a trial period help you decide what impact the flexible working would have? Give that some thought. Three, an inability to reorganise work among staff. That's quite common. Four, an inability to recruit more staff. Remember, you only have to prove one of these. So three and four, inability to reorganise work and inability to recruit more staff are alternatives, but really two sides of the same coin. Five, a detrimental impact on quality. In other words, there aren't other employees who can step up and learn new skills. Six, a detrimental impact on the performance of the employee or their team or the business as a whole. If you can show there'll be a detrimental impact on the business as a whole or on the team, you've made out one of the statutory reasons for saying no to the request. Seven, there'd be insufficient work during the times the employee proposes to work. Obvious example, uh, a shop open 9 till 5 on the high street, the employee says, I'd like a flexible working request uh, to work during night hours. Well, there's going to be no work for them to do during the night because the shop's not open. And number eight, planned structural changes. Would the flexible working arrangement conflict with a planned reorganisation or business change? You can also refuse a request on the basis that the employee has done something technically wrong in their application, not ticked one of the boxes, like saying this is a statutory right to request flexible working request. Now, while rejection based on a technicality might be perfectly lawful under the statutory regime, it does carry a little bit of risk because such a simplistic and unaccommodating approach to an employer's request could lead to a constructive dismissal claim. It'll certainly lead to a lot of bad feeling. The far better approach in that type of situation is, rather than taking advantage of the employee's mistake, get them to resubmit the request with the correct information and then give the request some proper attention. The reasonableness of a decision to refuse a request on one of the eight business grounds doesn't usually come under a great deal of scrutiny. If an employer says, for example, that the performance of the employee's team would suffer if she were to move from a five-day week to a three-day week, then unless that decision is based on incorrect facts, it cannot be challenged under the flexible working legislation. I'll say that again. Unless the employer's decision is based on incorrect facts it can't be challenged under the statutory flexible working rules. A tribunal will not look behind a business's decision, nor will it substitute its own view on what should have happened. The law recognises a business is entitled to make its own decision on advantages, costs and logistical implications. But make sure you do explore, explore all possibilities. Don't make assumptions about what would and wouldn't work. Now, whether or not you provide an explanation as to how you reached your decision will depend on the facts and on the individuals involved. Most workplace situations benefit from engagement with employees and keeping them informed and helping them see why you arrived at the conclusion you did is generally a good thing. Be careful with your wording because while an explanation could help show there were no discriminatory factors involved, a badly phrased or ill-thought-out summary might be used as ammunition were that employee to bring a discrimination or constructive dismissal claim. You need to confirm the decision in writing. You need to do it without delay. There's a specific time frame you have to give your decision in writing within three months from the date you receive the employee's request or any agreed extended period. Now, the decision can include provision for a trial period, and sometimes that's a sensible compromise between refusing and accepting an employee's request. Remember, any changes to the employee's terms and conditions of employment needs to be confirmed in a written statement and provided to the employee within a month of those changes coming into being. Many people forget that for statutory flexible working requests, there is no right of appeal. But it's good practice to allow one anyway, and that's what ACAS suggests doing. If you're going to, ideally get someone new to the matter and more senior to hear the appeal, just as you would in a disciplinary or grievance situation. If the initial rejection of the flexible working request has left you open to an allegation of discrimination, an appeal gives you the chance to reconsider things and put it right. And if there's one piece of advice to take away, it's this. Don't let your approach to a flexible working request be dominated by looking for a way to get out of it. Flip it around. Ask yourself, is there a way we could get this to work? And that's it. Thank you for listening. I've actually just this week recorded with Andrew Burns QC, a silk from Devereux Chambers, a audio seminar on shared parental leave, which touches on issues to do with flexible working. Andrew was one of the barristers representing Capita in Alley and Capita, last year's leading case on whether it's discriminatory not to enhance shared parental leave for men if women on maternity leave get enhanced maternity pay. And Andrew and I chat for about 40 minutes on all issues to do with flexible working and shared parental leave. If you're interested in hearing that, it's available for members of the HR Inner Circle at uk. And thank you, everybody. If you like this podcast and you don't subscribe, please do danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. And if you leave a review on the iTunes store about this podcast, Employment Law Matters, well, maybe next week I'll read it out and you'll get a copy sent to you as a thank you of one of the books I've written. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye.